you're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now, it's complicated. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm still not Jen. So you know how you text your friends and ask them what to wear on the first date, how to respond to a text from your crush, or to weigh in on whether you should post a certain pic on the socials? Yeah, well, those people, that's what we call your village. And we think you can't date or relate without them. Join our village because we're serving you expert guests who are filled with tips and tricks that will take some of the guessing out of the game. And make sure you subscribe and share our pod with your friends and your village. We want our group to grow bigger. You guys, you can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your pods. And don't forget to tell a friend. Dating is so different now. Are we right? Coming off the heels of the Me Too era and then slapped with a global pandemic that makes seeing and coming in contact with people impossible, meeting the one has legit never been more complicated than it is now. We wish there weren't so many rules and games and people could just keep things real and get to the point and throw all of the old adages, you know, like, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free and don't look desperate, make him want you sayings out the window. That's why we're excited to have author and former guest John Berger back again to discuss his latest book, Make Your Move. Why hetero women who make the first move with men have an advantage, especially in the Me Too era. Why online dating has proved so disappointing and sometimes dangerous for many women, especially during COVID times. And how the heck to make your move offline. John is an award-winning magazine writer, a contributor to Fortune, dating expert, and the author of Dateonomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game. Named to always on network's list of power players in technology business media, John is a former senior writer at both Fortune and Money. His work has also appeared in Barron's, Bloomberg, Business Week, New York Magazine, The New York Post, Time, and The Washington Post. He's a familiar face and voice on television, radio, and the lecture circuit, too, having been a guest on ABC's Good Morning America, BBC World Service, CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, National Public Radio, and Fox News, and a featured speaker at the University of Kansas, Market Waves, and South by Southwest. A graduate of Brown University, John lives with his family in Larchmont, New York. He's got moves you've never seen, and he's going to show you how to make them. Welcome back to the show, John. Okay, John, so it's been a couple years since we've had you on the show, so we're so happy to have you back. How is your 2021 going so far? Uh, well, I don't know. It's, is anybody's 2021 going great? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's been, you know, it hasn't been a perfect year, but... I don't, I don't know if it's been any worse for me than anyone else. Yeah, they, they, the years just kind of blended together. But, you know, you never know. We always try to, like, have some sort of a milestone that we can celebrate. And it is a new year, so we're just hoping that it just keeps getting better. But going back a few years, you know, those of our audience members who may have missed our first interview with you, John, can you um, share how you became an accidental dating guru? Yeah. So unsurprisingly, the first question I typically get is how the heck did a Fortune magazine writer who used to write about oil and gas, like how did I ever end up writing about dating? And 
the answer is that, you know, the editorial staff at Fortune was more women than men. And I couldn't help but notice that most of the men like myself were either married or in long, longer term relationships, whereas the women whom I think I can safely say had more going for them dating wise than than us guys did. Um at least the ones I was friends with, they had these dating stories and dating histories that made no sense to me. Uh, you know, guys who would, you know, ghost them after a date or two, um, cheat on them. So, like women I knew who were great claimed to never get asked out at all. So I, I, with the first book, Datanomics, I was trying to explore why dating had become so much harder for women, particularly for educated women than for men. Yeah, and it is hard, and we're still waiting for it to stop being hard. <laughs> we cannot wait to learn more about your new book, Make Your Move, because hoping that bridges the gap between yeah. and and actually resulting in healthy, successful relationships. Tell us your secrets. So, so the first book was really more pop science than... A, an advice book, as you as you may recall. I mean, the, the book, ex- Datanomics explored how lopsided sex ratios among college grads were affecting dating. So because women have been attending men at such a higher rate um, over the past, attending college at a higher rate than men over the past 30 years, we now have a dating market for college grads with one third more women than men. And, I, you know, I, I didn't really have any great solutions to this problem in the first book. Honestly, I was more interested in solving the boy problem in our schools than I was um, the dating problem for women. And I I did have some ideas like moving to cities with more balanced sex ratios. But, you know, as you guys can probably imagine, once I got out on book tour with datanomics, I, I kind of thought the whole knowledge is power thing would be enough. Um, but women would still say, okay, I get it. I feel a little better. It's not my fault. Now just tell me what to do. Um, and like, how do I fix things? And really the origin of Make Your Move was this one woman who, who asked me, uh, you know, at a, at a book talk, you know, I believe it was in Boston. She asked me, why is it that the bitchy women never have any problems? And I, I didn't have a a good answer then. But, you know, with Make Your Move, what I've really tried to do is figure out, um, you know, how why it is certain women or, or some women seem to do better in this lopsided dating market. And what I found is that women who are assertive, particularly in this post-Me Too environment, seem to have this big advantage over women who kind of play by the traditional dating rules and dating gender roles and kind of wait and sit back for men to find them. So that that's one of the big themes of Make Your Move, and we can dig into that more. And the other one is really encouraging singles who, you know, who are struggling with dating to maybe take a break from the dating apps and and you know, I, and I, I in the book I explore explore ways that that people can go back to dating people they actually know from real life. That's a great combination that you just mentioned, John. Like 
maybe getting off the apps and feeling empowered to like make your move is like a great way to like sort of reset your mind, have a different perspective and then enter into this dating world with those two things behind you. And what, so if, if you're going to get off the apps, like what would you tell people in order to do that? Like, why do you think, or how do you think that the apps have affected modern dating and then therefore society? So I, I didn't set out to write a book bashing dating apps, but so many of the women who I who had these great love stories were telling me they didn't find their guys until they got off the apps. And um, I mean, I think part of the, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know already, but, but there are a lot of single, young single women out there who feel that online dating is unsafe. Um, there was a Pew Research survey that found that 53% of young women find find online dating unsafe. Um, 20% of female dating app users have been threatened with physical violence. And it, it, so I, part of me thinks, okay, if, if there was a singles bar where one-fifth of the women were being threatened with violence, like who's going to go back there? Um, yet I kind of feel like, there's this fear of missing out problem that, that a lot of singles um, take to the dating app world and they're just afraid to get off them at this point. Um, but I, you know, the, 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 you know, and obviously more people are using dating apps to meet and I'm not trying to diminish a happy relationship that two people, like I mean, if two people met on an app and are happy together, that's great. You know, the same way if you met at a Vegas casino or, you know, at a highway rest stop, like I, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, people meet in all sorts of ways and I'm not trying to diminish, you know, happy relationships. But the research on this shows that, that it's harder for people to feel a connection when they meet online. Um, I can for- confirm that that's true. Yes. I am single and I am one of these gals you're talking about, if I don't say so myself. I would say I'm a quality human being and it's nearly impossible to find a match. I mean, obviously there's plenty of matches out there like in the app sense, but one that is actually turned into a relationship is seemingly impossible. And I look back and I'm like, I've been single for so many years. Is this ever going to happen? Maybe not. But I think, you know, if we were to use my myself as an example, I go through the roller coaster of wanting to be on the apps because that's right now the only way for me to meet people unless I recycle through anybody I know. But those people might see me as a friend at this point. And, and I've even thought about unfriend zoning certain people just to, you know, date somebody I'm already familiar with, but that's not always the case for them. They might not want to date me, but I go through this same thing where I'm like, got to get off the apps and try and meet people in real life, but dealing with COVID. So can't really meet people. Then going back to the apps, I'm trying, you know, every which way, whether it's changing my profile, whether it's changing my approach, whether it's reaching out first or waiting for them to reach out to me or making a move or, um, even, to planning a date, it's kind of difficult because there for a while weren't that many places you could go. So then it was trying to be creative with going to a park, but like, could I get murdered in a park? Am I the next subject? Or should I invite people to my back patio, but now they know where I live or do we go for a walk? And then 
where does the walk go? And then are we drinking and walking in the street? That's not safe for anybody. And also the real issue now in terms of safety is COVID. Is some stranger going to give me COVID? And was that even worth it? So I think you're you know, right for saying that there's so many issues that are created based on the Me Too era and also now the pandemic and everything. But how do we survive this otherwise are, are no babies ever going to be made well, uh, okay so jen i'm going to ask you and this maybe circles back to your your inner conversation about some of those guys that maybe want to unfriend zone or at least at least you know you wondered about it is there anybody you know in your regular real world life whom you know and like and are attracted to and who's single whom you've ever wondered about dating definitely i have However, and I think maybe this is like something other women can relate to is that like, I kind of feel like I might be out of their league because I seem sane and they only date crazy girls. And I know this because they tell me about their dating life. And that's why I also think I'm friend zone. So I don't know if maybe I am really out of their league or I just think that, or maybe they think that. Is that even a thing people think? Do men? The the thing about, like, human beings really suck at knowing when somebody else is into them like like flirting doesn't work and all, all the all the studies on this show that that people who think they're good at flirting are good at communicating uh romantic interest that it's usually lost on the other person that you know it's like 70 percent of people who are being flirted with don't know that they're being flirted with so i mean i i'm a big fan of just being direct and you know if there's one of these guys who you like and you feel a connection with and you've really wondered about just be direct and honest and say, look, you know, I've, I've always liked you. I, you know, I'm, I, I feel some kind of a connection. Do you want to, you know, go out for a date on Friday? Now, obviously that, that creates some emotional vulnerability and there's some risk taking involved there, but I just think the potential payoff is so huge, particularly when you look at the alternative. I mean, at least with that guy, you already know, you have a base that you're starting with. I mean, you already know the person, you have some sense of his values. And, you know, when it comes to COVID, you have some sense perhaps of whether he's living his life responsibly. You know, with with a dating app first date, I mean, every first date on a dating app is a blind date with a complete stranger. And as you were kind of alluding to, the, the process there starts with fact-checking the guy to make sure that, you know, Robert, the you know, the hand surgeon isn't actually Billy Bob, the axe murderer. And then on the day of the date, coming up with the kinds of escape plans and safety plans that you were talking about. And as you, you know, I think you know this, that that kind of a mindset um, doesn't lead to, it's not really conducive to falling in like or falling in love, certainly. Um, and it doesn't, it's less likely to lead to a second date because the the level of uncertainty and anxiety that you bring to the first date is, you know, could really, you know, has an impact on the, on the outcome. So even if you, even if you're compatible and you knew, if you knew each other in the real world, it might, you, you might hit it off amazingly, but if you're complete strangers, that anxiety is, you know, often gets in the way. And it, it doesn't create for a sexy environment. Like who wants, who feels sexy and like in the mood to like open up and be vulnerable or like be flirty or whatever, when you're like worried about stupid shit like that, like that's not, no. Yeah. So, so there was a woman I interviewed, her name is Mia and she's a, a uh, she's divorced in her forties. And 
she she had this really clever turn of phrase. She she called um, she described online dating to me as a doubter's game, and the reason she said this is because you know her experience with online dating. She had she, there were so many guys who lied to her, frankly, like about about their marital status, about their jobs, about whether they were actually looking for a relationship or just a hookup, um, and she got. You know, she was just exhausted by being deceived and taken advantage of. So over time, she began, she would basically spend her first dates trying to find all the holes in the guy's story. But like you can, as you can imagine, that didn't lead to a lot of second dates. If you kind of enter into the first date with that kind of, you know, like, what's it going to be with this one mindset? Um, but she's now engaged to a guy who she met through a mutual friend. And um, she told me that when she was, you know, before her first date with, with Stephen, the, the, the now fiance, she didn't even bother Googling him because she knew that her friend would never, ever set her up with a guy who was unkind or untrustworthy. Um, and, you know, she described this, this kind of more traditional way of meeting, you know, through friends, through family, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody you meet in a house of worship. She, she said this was, she described this as a believer's game. And she said that because of her mindset going into the first date with Stephen, she kind of feels like this was the closest thing to love at first sight she had ever experienced. And, and it had less to do with him and more to, to do with like her comfort level and her willingness to kind of open herself up to another person. That, it already sounds like a more comfortable situation. I mean, I was on the dating apps and um, being, you know, trying to be active when I was single on those type of ways to meet somebody. And then I had a friend introduce me to my now husband. And I was like, I mean, it, it did feel different. It felt like there was a level of trust, even if, this friend had set me up with somebody that I wasn't like, didn't have chemistry with that, that thing that you're talking about, John still exists. So sometimes, yeah, it's not going to be like every time a friend sets you up or you go out with someone that you already know that this chemistry is going to combust and it's going to be this beautiful story. But those things that we're talking about, like safety and trust and like the ability to open up and feel more vulnerable or sexy or anything that, that exists already with this, with the area that you're talking about, like somebody you know or somebody that your yeah. friend knows. And, and Lauren, I bet when you get together with that mutual friend who set you up, like you're kind of reliving the story of how you and your husband met. And, you know, it's like this fun memory that that, that, that you and your husband have and you and the three of you have, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Right. And and what, what the, you know, this is something I write about in Make Your Move. It turns out that the, these stories of how we met are actually really important. And they kind of, um, they act as, as mortar in a lot of successful relationships. And couples couples become invested in these how we met stories and the people around them become invested in these stories. And obviously, if the way you met is through like sorting through 50 dating profiles and exchanging cautious texts and then having an awkward dinner over sushi, that doesn't really lend itself to kind of the, you know, these, these how we met stories that can become kind of the, the grist or that can kind of become the beginnings of a deeper connection. 
You're right, John, because most people who meet on dating apps don't talk about it. They're like, um, we met at a bar or what, like, right, Jen? It's embarrassing. And also a lot of people's profiles say, let's tell people we met at Trader Joe's or something that's like cheeky and basically saying this can't be our story. But at the same time, it is the vehicle for which a lot of people meet. So, I mean, I personally feel very strongly about what you're saying and agree because I, I, in my wildest dreams, hope for like a Hallmark movie type of meet cute where, you know, magic ensues and we fall in love in like a normal organic way. But we are back here to the dating apps where I am meeting people because I think right now it feels like I've exhausted all of my inner circle, even second and third circles as far as people that I don't know or people that could set me up with anybody. But going back to the apps where I currently am residing, how do you feel that that has changed or like affected men and women respectively? Are, is one sex feeling the implications more than the other? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's funny. You know, I, I, I did an interview with a, a male author who was recently divorced and um, he, he had just gotten back into dating and he was telling me a story about like how he was really upset. Uh, and he was, you know, he thought it was creepy that the woman he had got, he had made plans to, you know, it was a first date and she had been researching him, um, before the first date. And he thought this was bizarre. And I started telling him, look, you know, for you, it might seem weird. For her, you know, this is her life um, and this is her safety. And if you think about, I mean, the, the safety concerns that men, I'm not saying, you know, men, you know, have never been been a victim of a romance scam or even, you know, uh, something far worse than that, you know, through a dating app. But I, I, I do feel like you know, the potential for something bad happening is is higher for women. And, and the other, the other thing I would, I, you know, and this is stating the obvious, but I, it, there's just something about the medium that makes it more likely that people will treat each other badly. And, and I'm like, look, I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, and I'm certainly guilty of this on Twitter when it comes to political conversations. I, I say things or I write things on Twitter that have kind of an edge to them and sometimes a meanness to them that I would never say in a million years if I was at a cocktail party or at a Thanksgiving dinner and I was having a similar kind of political argument with somebody face to face. And I, I just think the, the, you know, when there's no accountability, when the person across, you know, that you've been exchanging texts with, or maybe been out on a date or two with, if there's no connection and there's no accountability, there's no, you know, coworker, somebody at your church, um, you know, somebody, you know, from the dog park, friends, family, if there's no, like, um, no person he's going to be accountable to if he misbehaves and, or, or does or says something wrong. Um, I, I feel like that, that makes it more likely that people will behave badly if you don't have that kind of accountability. Well, and it also feels a lot like too, like what you're saying, the accountability is like, if you're being set up, you would ensure that you're ready and available to be set up. But people go on these dating apps to pass the time, it seems. So like you might match with somebody who isn't ready. And, and I don't know if women are as criminal of this as men, but don't you feel kind of like, 
Men will dabble with it because it's dipping their toes in to see what's out there, but they might not be even ready for a relationship at all. So we're like the, the numbers game kind of is diminished by also the people that are out there that are even really ready for a relationship. There's a, a divorced woman I know who was telling me she had just gotten on Bumble last week for the first time. And she, she was basically sending me, you know, like minute by minute updates of her experience on this. And within 24 hours, she had, I think she said over 200 matches or potential matches from guys on Bumble. Um, and I think this kind of reveals two things. One, um, yeah, I mean, she gave up after a couple of days because how the heck are you supposed to sort through 200 people? I mean, like if it was eight people, you could do it and maybe ha- make maybe come up with like a, a thoughtful way of evaluating who's right for you. But I, I think you know, 200 is just too much. Uh, and and the other part of it is the reason there are 200 is the guys um, are just swiping right on everybody, essentially, because they they're just trying to kind of increase their their odds of connecting with somebody and and uh, you know, honestly and this is another theme in the book and, and i think this is part of the men swiping right on everybody is that like one of the secrets about guys is is men like women who like them so if they, if they can find a woman who likes them you know they it makes them more likely to swipe right on everybody because they're more interested if she likes him than if he likes her, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It makes sense. It goes back to the, what you were saying before, John, is that if you, if you're a woman and you have somebody that is in your life that you think could be a good match, potentially that maybe it's a friend or whatever, like why don't you just tell them what you want and if that's them then they're probably gonna like that because that's what men like and also this could be and you tell me if i'm off john but if maybe guys also like collect women in these dating apps because they know they feel like they have to make the first moves they've got to like collect all these women and then go back and start like making moves right so like how can we break all of this? Like we're trying to, I mean, I know you're like not trying to tell people to just to get off dating apps, but there's so much sense in that. Like meeting someone in person or meeting someone, you know, makes perfect sense. Now let's say we're moving off the apps and we're getting into this idea of like doing something in the real world. How can you make your move offline? Like what are some, you know, I mean, there's a chapter in the book called make your move off, uh, the offline dating challenge. Like how do people approach this idea? So, yeah, the, the, the make your move offline dating challenge is kind of like a step by step plan for kind of an online dating detox, so to speak. Anyway, and, and it starts with the obvious, just, you know, deleting the apps, you know, uh, canceling the email notifications and so on. Because obviously, if you're going to do a, if you're going to go cold turkey, you need to really go cold turkey. And then, um, uh, you know, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but the gist of it is to kind of make a list of, you know, men you know from your daily life. Uh, and it could be a friend from college. It could be um, a personal trainer from the gym. It could be the cute cop that you banter with at the deli. It could, it could be anybody who you kind of know from your regular life who you've ever wondered about dating. And then kind of go through and then talk to your friends and um, see if they know anyone. And I, and I realize asking friends for for setups is, is kind of 
tricky or embarrassing sometimes. So actually what I say in the book is like, just blame me, you know, tell them that you bought this crazy dating book and he wants me to, and he's telling me to do this. So, um, yeah, can you, can you help me? Do you know anybody who I might like? Um, and I, you know, obviously not everybody, you know, has, somebody who they wondered about dating in the real world. But in my experience, you know, I've been asking this question a lot. And I, I find that, you know, 60, 70, 80% of women, I ask this question, the, you know, depending upon age a little bit, but the answer is usually yes. Um, and, and often they have, there's more than one person. So I'm, you know, I, I'm encouraging people to, okay, Online dating isn't working out for you. There's this kind of definition of insanity thing that's that's kicking in. Like we, we need to do something different. And I realize that asking a guy out on a date, um, you know, is scary. Um, but I swear to you, the more you put yourself out there uh, and are honest with him, the more likely it is you will get an, an authentic, genuine answer back. Um, and that's all you really want, because if the answer is no, at least you never have to wonder about them again. That's true. But I want to talk about quickly why the focus, again, is on women, because, you know, the idea is here yep. for us to make the move and take the lead and ask the guy out and ask our friends if they've got guys and make the list of the guys. Yep. And all of the things, the onus is on us. Don't we do enough? We have to birth the babies. We've got to do all the things. Why do we now have to take the lead? Like, I, I still wish it were the old timey times where the men were like, you know, the chivalrous ones and the knight in shining armor. And sure, all those things are obviously antiquated. But why must we now do this thing too? Especially with the gender roles. And, and personally, I think men have a lot of issues with that and, and sensitivities that they never had to deal with before. But why us? I, like, conceptually, I agree with you. But the... Like this isn't a, a book. Make your move isn't a book about like the world that we wish we could create. It's a book about strategies for the world we live in now. And like, they, make your move isn't written for men. I mean, I men don't buy self help books generally. They certainly don't buy dating books unless they're like, you know, weird books about pickup artistry. So like, I'm not I'm not writing for men, and, and I'm not trying to help men. Um, what I'm trying to do is explore dating strategies that I believe are advantageous for women. But at the same time, I hear what you're saying. And if making the first move with a guy is going to make you miserable, like I'm like, I'm not in the business of, of making people miserable. So like I'm you know, if you're ready to try something different, I'm here for you. But I'm not, you know, like. I, I, I'm not in this to force somebody to do something that's going to make them sad or unhappy. No, it just sounds like the reality and like totally makes sense that the reality is different than it once was. And we all as daters have to let go of the past and how things once were and have to adapt. And that would be now women making the first move and letting go of any sort of ego and the things that we've been told in the past, which is like, don't chase them, let them chase you and, and all those adages that we have to kind of rework, right? Yeah. And, and I think, look, I mean, a lot of the, this 
I mean, the, the traditional dating advice and the traditional dating gender roles basically argued that men are hardwired to chase and women are basically pre-programmed to be passive filters of male advances. And, you know, this is the advice that like that, that, you know, you know, books like the rules uh, and all of its, you know, various copycats, ignore the guy, get the guy. I mean, this is this is whole cottage industry of dating books that have come out over the past 30 years that that, you know, the underlying message is the guy has to chase. If you show too much interest in him, he will be less interested in you. Um, and, you know, the, the, basically, if you boil it down, the message these dating gurus and these dating books want young women to send to young men boils down to not interested means keep trying. But think about the implications of that in a post Me Too world. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say that we guys have learned all the lessons of Me Too as well or as quickly as we should have. Um, uh, but I think most guys at this point understand that if a woman comes across as disinterested, the correct response is not to assume she's playing hard to get and to keep trying. The correct response is to leave her alone. And I, I, I think you know, this is why like, the guys are, are anxious about doing anything too assertive or too aggressive. And, and really, like, I don't know if you guys know any really young singles, like in their early 20s, but their fear of awkwardness, particularly the guys, is so off the charts that it's hard for me. I think the reason why the young men are, are kind of addicted to dating apps is because they're terrified of asking somebody they actually know and like out in the date. Um, and this is why I think like a, a woman who turns the tables just has such an advantage because the guys, particularly the really young guys, they, they don't know what to do anymore. At every guy that we have had, or I shouldn't say every, but there's a large percentage of men that we have had on our show who would agree in their own ways and words and say things like, just tell us what to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, please, like. We look for, to quote our friend Brian Howie, I think yep. he says, yeah. we look for green lights and you guys give, or you guys look for red flags and we look for green lights. So just tell us what to do. Just tell us it's okay. And to go back to what you're saying, it's funny because men are, you know, maybe do kind of think like, okay, well, if she's, she, maybe she's playing hard to get, like keep going, keep trying or whatever, potentially if they do or don't think that. And also there's a there's weird things that women think like, oh, you're taught when you're like five years old that if the little boy on the playground's pulling your pigtails and throwing rocks at you, that means he likes you. So now we're supposed, <laughs> yeah. now we're supposed to think that it's okay to be treated like not great because that means he likes you. Like there's so many weird games and things that people tell themselves like this way which, you know, make your move and, and all of these things, these theories that you're presenting, like it really does simplify it. It makes it feel less complicated. And like, it's just kind of like embrace the power that you have. And you said this book is for women. So as a woman, embrace that power that all the girls on the socials and on the internet are talking about that these days, like boss bitch and like 
I'm, I'm in charge and like own your stuff or whatever, all those things, you know, these things that people say, like, yeah, you know, step into your power, all those things will do it. Like, this is a way to do it. Don't sit idle by and wait for somebody to like create your future. You don't have to like say things in a super direct way. If you don't want to be like, Hey Rob, will you go on a date with me? Hey Bill, will you have sex with me? Like, you don't have to say it like that. Be creative. Right. Like, I mean, I think that, you know, anytime you suggest, um, and I've, you know, this is, you know, I've gotten this feedback as I've been, you know, promoting the book, but like, if you suggest a woman making the first move, the, the rule follower types immediately say, oh, I could never chase a man. And and they have this, like, they, they put this image out there of like some Cruella de Vil type, like chasing a guy around town. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. And the, the, the reality is that a first move by a woman doesn't need any of the bluster or, you know, assertiveness or uh, aggressiveness that we've come to expect from our kind of alpha male suitors. And I'll just share a little story from the book. There's a, a woman, I, a youngish, you know, she's probably, I think she's 29, 30 year old woman I know. And I know her pretty well because when she was in college, she was our Saturday night babysitter. Um, and, you know, she's, um, the key thing about her is that like she has this enormous personality, like she's a real cut up and, you know, she probably should be doing stand up someplace. Um, and, you know, my kids loved her and you know, she would leave the house a mess, but, but, but she was so entertaining for the kids that, you know, like it was anyway, you don't need to hear about the baby's thing. But w when I started telling her about the book, one of the things she mentioned is that the whole you know, the whole extrovert thing for her, like sometimes becomes a problem with dating. And she started telling me the story about um, how she started seeing her current boyfriend. And it turns out they were at a party together. They were really hitting it off. They were talking for like 40 minutes. Um, but it was clean, you know, and she likes kind of the, the quieter, quirkier types. And she really liked this guy, but it was clear to her that he didn't really know what to do about it. And her response was just to blurt out, hey, are you going to ask for my number? She didn't grab his ass. You know, she didn't like buy him a beer. She didn't even have to ask him out on a proper date. All she had to do was open the door wide enough for him to feel safe and comfortable about walking through. Yeah, I think that's what I feel like when, you know, you're saying too, and Jen, I know you're like in the position. So you're like, well, that's weird. Like, or I I want the guy to come to me or whatever, you know, because that's what we're used to. And, and I agree to that. But I think if women and Jen in particular, just think about it, like all you're doing is giving a very obvious hello, come get the thing if you want it whatever that means, a date, sex, anything on the spectrum of more than just friends. Like you are basically t inviting them in. Then from that point on, they can do, I mean, they can do all the other things that you're talking about, like plan a date or it depends on what part you step in at, but they can do all those other things, buy you flowers. It's not like all of a sudden now you're in charge of like buying flowers and like proposing to the guy. Like they can continue to do all those things. All you're doing is giving a very obvious, like, hello, I'm here and I'm interested in more than you than just a friend. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe that the less a guy fears rejection, the more engaged he's going to be in the relationship. 
a million percent. If it were flipped around and the girl, like if you're thinking about making a first move, like as a woman, your fear of rejection is real too, which is why you don't want to do it. So you want to make it easy for the other person. And if you are going to like try to meet people, you mentioned John that like meeting people offline and making that move, like where are good places to do the, to do that? Like, so people can start getting ideas of like where they can start implementing these ideas, like, like basically in the office or. I mean, one of the reasons why I, I'm so down on online dating is that the breakup rates are, are really high. And if you, if you look at, you know, there's this professor, Michael Rosenfeld at Stanford, who in general, he's been quoted as saying he he's, he's positive on online dating. But if you look in the appendix of his study, he has this table that's you know titled "Breakup Rates Not Much Influenced by How Couples Meet." And, but I, I think this really depends on how you define "not much," because what he what he has in this table is that the one year breakup rate of couples who meet online is sixteen percent. Couples who meet through friends and family, it's nine percent. Uh, meet as neighbors, eight percent. Meet as coworkers, which is my favorite way of meeting, and we can talk about this more. The, the breakup rate for people who meet at work is only 6%. It's also 6% if you meet in college. Um, and it's 1% if you meet in the house of worship. So I, 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 I'm I, a big fan of these kind of more traditional ways of meeting people. And my favorite really is the workplace. Because if you think about it, um, there's nobody you know better than somebody you work kind of side by side with, you know, nine to five or nine to nine sometimes. I mean, if a guy is unkind or untrustworthy in the office, I mean, he's going to be the same way in a relationship and vice versa. Um, So I I really feel like these couples that begin at work or or they kind of connect as friends or coworkers initially, they're starting from so far ahead versus strangers who meet online because they already know each other's values. They already know their senses of humor, you know, and there's a reason why so many of our favorite kind of TV couples met at work. I mean, like if, if Jim and Pam from the office had met on Tinder, that would have been like the most boring Tinder date ever probably. Right. Oh my God love that so much that we went to the office. But so that makes a lot of sense in terms of already sort of laying the foundation and getting to know somebody because you're with them potentially a lot or you see them often and in an environment where they're being themselves, hopefully. But so you also then have something in common. But might that be too much in common? Because like, how do you separate also work from relationship and keep romance alive? And then here's a part two question. Do you think it also works? Because there's less options. Like there might not be a ton of single people that are available at the office. So you're sort of setting your sights in on one or a couple people versus the dating app. So there's like a slew of fish. I, I, I think it's it's just the shared connections, shared values. I mean, you know, the studies I've seen on this show that couples who meet in the workplace marry at this incredibly high rate. I mean, there are two studies on this. One says that that uh, 25% of couples who meet at work end up marrying. The other one um, claims it's 30%. And that's really, really high. And I just believe it's this, um, you know, you, you're so far ahead, you know, once you start dating somebody who you've known for a year in the in the workplace, because there's nobody you know really better than your coworkers, right? 
yeah, you spend 40 hours a week with them either in person or remotely at this point. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean the book, I, I tell all these kind of really wonderful love stories really about couples who meet, who met at work. And, you know, the underlying theme is really they, I mean, before the first kiss, before the first date, they already knew that they were compatible. That's interesting. So then when we get in trouble with HR, <laughs> we're going to claim your book and everything you are saying and send them to you. Gosh, John, not only did you <laughs> accidentally become a <laughs> expert, now you're an accidental scapegoat too. Look, see? I, I, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, look, uh, the... You know, I think that I saw a study which showed that 20 years ago, 20% of couples um, met at work, and now it's down to 9%. And some of this obviously is online dating, but I think most of the decline in the popularity of the office romance is kind of what you're talking about. This, you know, and I think this existed before Me Too, but Me Too certainly shined a brighter spotlight on this problem of like workplace harassment and, um, companies increasingly you know are trying to discourage um couples from dating you know a couple a couple you know people at work from dating each other to the extent that i think you may recall the the single ceo of mcdonald's you know was fired last year for having a consensual relationship you know for dating somebody he met in the office um so I, my hope is that we can find some kind of a happy medium here. And one of the things I talk about in Make Your Move is that I believe two of our biggest tech companies, I believe they've hit upon the right solution here. And these two companies are Facebook and Google. And both Facebook and Google have a really smart, in my view, an interesting policy when it comes to workplace dating. And that is that you can ask anybody out on a date once, but only once. And the other thing is, if, if the answer you get back is anything other than an explicit yes, that counts as a no. So if you ask somebody out and she says, yeah, you know, not this week, or I'm not feeling great, or maybe some other time, that counts as a no. And I, I kind of feel like this is, this is a really smart solution because it it kind of tamps down on this problem that mostly women have experienced over the years of kind of being pestered at work by guys who think just because you're nice to them, you're into them. Yeah, you have to be nice to them because you work with them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it also teaches women to like go after what you want and say what you want. If you want to go on a date with them, say that sounds great. If you don't say, oh no, thank you, but thank you for asking. Like, just don't like send mixed signals. Like get rid of the games. Nobody likes it. Everyone wants to be direct. And, you know. I mean, one of the things I want to make sure that I I get across is that I appreciate that dating in the workplace is a lot different now than it was 30 years ago and it's more complicated. And I think the story of how Bill and Melinda Gates first started dating kind of, um, kind of reveals how much things have changed. So I, I came across this interview that Melinda Gates gave to a podcast and, and she was talking about, she was asked how she and Bill first started dating. And again, at the time she was kind of a young manager at Microsoft and he was obviously the, the founder and CEO of Microsoft. And in the story that she tells, she says that it was really, you know, it was really sweet 
those are her words, how they first started dating. She said that they first met briefly at a, at a company offsite. And then a couple weeks later, he called her up and he said, you know, I was thinking that maybe we could go out if you give me your phone number, maybe two weeks from tonight. And the way Melinda tells the story, it sounds like she did what every or any self-respecting 1980s woman would have done, which was play some version of hard to get. And, you know, in her storytelling, she says, I said to him two weeks from tonight, I have no idea what I'm doing two weeks from tonight. And I said, you're not spontaneous enough for me. So in other words, the answer was no. Bill, however, didn't take no for an answer. And he called back an hour later. And th this is, these are her words. She said it was really sweet. He called an hour later and said, is, th is this spontaneous enough for you? Well, I mean, I kind of love that she went into it with her own like thoughts about how it would play out and didn't really, it sounds like take it seriously, but he showed her he was going to show up and be what she needed and surprise her. So he put in the effort and listen, I say on the show all the time, I love a good fan, but again, not in the creepy me too kind of way where it's a pest or persistent or uncomfortable or you fear for your job and your livelihood, yeah. but more in a cheeky kind of way where it's cute and kind of showing you, you know, you don't have to be afraid because I'm actually really interested. So I, I, I think if, if I had heard this story five years ago and I wasn't writing a book about this stuff, I think I would have had a, a reaction similar to what, what you just, you know, just stated. But and I, and I also want to throw in that, look, I, well, I've never met Bill Gates. I am a fortune, an ex-fortune writer, and I know lots of people who know him, and I, I tend to believe he's a decent human being. But, but um, the fact is that the CEO of a company uh, uh, called up a young woman, a younger employee, asked her out on a date, and she said no. And then an hour later, he called her back again and asked again. And I, in, I mean, if you just look at it that way, th this, this would create all sorts of problems in today's workplace. And I kind of joke in the book that if he did this today, the only date he'd probably have is with his general counsel because um, a, a CEO asking a woman out, an employee out, she says no. And then he comes back again an hour later. I just think that would raise all sorts of potential red flags. Oh, absolutely. It definitely would. And I'm sure, you know, this this happens probably all the time, uh, maybe now a lot less given that people can be put on blast and then, <laughs> you know, basically canceled for the rest of their careers. But I think because it seems like it has a happy ending, we're not, you know, so right. digging into the finer details there, but it, it's right what you're saying that like, if this happened today, this would not fly because it's essentially the CEO saying to the junior person, I'm going to do what I want regardless of what you say because you, I own you because you work for me. So I'm going to keep asking you until you say yes because that's the right answer or you could potentially be fired. You know, I, mean, I doubt that what was playing out was, was what you just described. I, I think it was probably more harmless than that. But we don't live in a world in which you know those areas of gray are 
are really allowable anymore. And part of, so part of what I talk about in the book is that like with this kind of a story, if now Melinda Gates really, you know, liked Bill and wanted to go out on a date with him, she should have just said yes from the start because otherwise it creates a lot of complications. And in his case, you know, if she, if, if a senior person is going to ask out a woman whom he works with and she says, no, I think it's probably best to just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think everyone needs to move on. But there, <laughs> there's also something I want to ask you um, that we didn't necessarily dive into previously that we talked a little bit about, like, you know, how men might feel that there's a chance for rejection. So it's better to cast their net wide because it's really up to the woman to show interest. And then, you know, that's what he's looking for is someone who likes him. But what about the guys that you do show interest in, but they don't make a lot of effort back or you do tell them what you're looking for or maybe something that, you know, you expect and then it ends. Like, is it that the grass is always greener? They've got all these other people that are options because the apps present so many people to them at the touch of a finger? Well, if you, if you really, you know, particularly with somebody you know from the real world, like if you put yourself out there and you tell a guy, look, I, you know, to be honest, I've always really liked you and I, and I you know, I, I feel happy around you. Uh, would you want to go out on a date with me on Friday night? I mean, if you if you put yourself out there like that, and the response you get back is really ambivalent, I, I think you know th- that's enough of an answer there that you probably. I, I mean, I really believe that the more you put yourself out there, the more the other person will do the same. And if you're not getting back the same kind of positive feeling from him that you feel that you know that you feel about him, I think that's probably a sign that it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, not like, oh, well, he's damaged or he really needs me to show up for him or you know, he's playing hard to get. Like, it, we shouldn't be looking into things further than what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, if if you ask a guy out and he's always liked you, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll like, be thrilled. I mean, there's a, there's a funny um, kind of a dating commentator on Twitter. She's from the UK. Her name is Alani. And um, every once in a while, she'll... I think every Valentine's Day, she'll ask women to basically ask out your your secret crush on a date and send me the you know the screenshots or something like that or send or send me uh, you know a story about what happened. And there are all these guys who like had no idea that the woman liked him the way he always liked her. And like you know these responses, so many of them are like, yes, 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 I've always liked you. I didn't know that you liked me too. Like things like that. And I. And those are the the responses, obviously, I'm hoping for. But if you get something different and you get something kind of low key, like, I don't know, or yeah, maybe we're, you know, where would we want to, where would we be going? Like that, that, that tells me that he doesn't feel the same way about you as you feel about him. Okay. Well, that's all we need to know. He's just not that into us. So (laughs) we get that answer quicker if we actually put ourselves out there and make a move and we can then make our move onto somebody else. Yeah. But the the one thing I always like to say is that if you make your move in a real subtle way, like, like if you say, oh, it's a coworker. Do you want to go grab lunch on Tuesday? There's a good chance he just thinks you're being nice, which you probably are. You know, I I think the guy is going to play it cool the more you play it cool and vice versa. So this is why I'm kind of a a big fan of putting it all out there. Like I'm a, 
you know, one of my favorite books is Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read it, but but she she has this line that uh, I think this is verbatim, but if not, it's close. And it's essentially um, vulnerability is weakness in me, but courage in you. And her point is that when we make ourselves vulnerable or we make ourselves emotionally vulnerable, it tends to kind of evoke feelings of real like sympathy and admiration and respect from the person on on the receiving end. But when, but from our perspective, we think we're being weak or we think, you know, that that vulnerability um, makes us kind of a lesser person or a weak person. And I'm always kind of pushing, particularly young people who really struggle with this, I think more, more than older singles to kind of em- embrace the awkwardness and embrace the vulnerability because that's how things get real. I think it makes sense to like take the power and make your move. And if people want to find more ideas like how to talk or date or approach somebody in the workplace or get off dating apps or any of the things that we've suggested here that you brought up here, John, remind everyone where they can find your book so that they can blame you for all of the trouble that <laughs> implementing these things. Okay. So you can find you know, me on my website, which is johnberger.com. I, I will mention that my name is spelled oddly. It's uh, J-O-N-B-I-R-G-E-R.com. On Twitter, I'm at johnberger1. On Instagram, unfortunately, it's a little different. I'm at john underscore burger1. Another thing I'll, I always like to mention is that uh, I'm part of a platform called Book Yaya, which kind of is a way of connecting authors with book clubs. So if you have a book club and you want to read Make Your Move or even Datanomics for that matter, and you'd like me to do a kind of a virtual Q&A with your book group, you can go to the Book Yaya website and schedule me to, to talk to your book club. That just makes reaching you so much easier. We appreciate you virtually chatting with us. And guys, don't forget to tune into It's Complicated, where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff like your very own book club or podcast club. And if you want to join the class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show and It's Complicated wherever you get your podcasts to rate and comment on our show. And while you're there, tell a friend. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meds. And you can find me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meds. Love you long time. You're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now it's complicated. <laughs>